0: As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. Teacher, whose sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his own or his parents' sin? His blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents' sins. He is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him. As long as it is they... We must keep on doing the work of who sent me. Night is coming. But no one can work. Mm-hmm. While I am in the world, I am the light for the world. said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with his spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes. Don't wash your face in the pool of Salon. This name means sent. So the man went, washed his face, and came back, seeing. His neighbors then, and the people who had seen him begging before this, asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and begging? He's the one. No, isn't. He just looks like him. I am the man. How is it that you can now see? The man called Jesus made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and told me to go to Siloam and wash my face. So I went. And as soon as I washed, I could see. Where is he? I don't know. Then they took to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured him of his blindness was a Sabbath. The Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. He put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face, and now I can see. The man who did this cannot be from God. He does not obey the Sabbath law. How could a man who is a sinner perform such miracles as these? And there was division among them. You say he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. The Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind and could now see until they called his parents. Is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How is it, then, that he can now see? We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But we don't know how it is that he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness. Ask him. him. He is old enough and he can answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that anyone who said he believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is old enough, ask him. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind. Promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. I do not know if he is a sinner or not. One thing I do know. I was blind. And now I see. What did he do to you? How did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you, too, would like to be his disciples. They insulted him and said, You are that fellow's disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. What a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he will not be able to do a thing! Well, you were born and brought up insane! And you are trying to teach us. And they expelled him from the synagogue. <laughs> Tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. You have already seen him. He is the one who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord. And he knelt down before Jesus. I came to this world to judge, so that the blind should see, and those who see should become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked him, Surely you don't mean that we are blind, too. If you were blind, then you would not be guilty. But since you claim that you can see, this means that you are still guilty. An amazing day in the life of Jesus is covered in John chapter 8, John chapter 9, and the first half of chapter 10. It's a day after the Feast of Tabernacles. In chapter 7, on the last day of that feast, Jesus makes a declaration, If anyone thirst, let him come into me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The following day is when John chapter 8 happens. The Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration of the Jewish people, and they celebrate it to this day. For eight days, they remember their deliverance from slavery, their journey through the wilderness, and they're entering the promised land. And so in celebration, they'll build booths outside their house, shelters, tents, brush arbors, little temporary housing on their roofs or out in their yard or out by the sidewalk and live that way, the men and boys will for sure, to remember how blessed they are to have entered the land. And so it's a very joyous occasion in Israel to this day. Back in Jesus' day, part of the festival included taking golden pitchers to the pool of Siloam, filling them up and carrying them from Siloam back to the temple and pouring them out at the base of the altar, letting the water run towards the door a ritual looking forward to the fulfillment of Ezekiel 47, where Ezekiel had a vision of a river flowing out of the temple to the nations and bringing healing. I believe Jesus is that river. I believe his sending of the Holy Spirit is the river. He declared, if anyone thirsts, let him come into me and drink. He declared it on the last day of that feast. The next day, he's in the temple. They bring to him a woman caught in adultery and the river of forgiveness begins to flow and those guys drop their rocks. The river of truth begins to flow. He begins to declare the truth about who He is and at the end of that chapter they pick up those same rocks they had dropped wanting to kill Him. Let's look at that. Chapter 8, the last verse just before chapter 9 begins. Verse 59 says, They took up stones to throw at Him, but Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so... Passed by. Next verse. Keep in mind, chapters and verses were added later. They weren't written in the original. And so passed by. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Here he is, a source of living water, the source of life, the river of God, going to bring healing to this guy. And I think it's significant that he sent him to Siloam, the very place they went to get the symbolic water to wash which was a symbolic act, but an act of obedience on his part. And he came back seeing. And by virtue of them taking him to the authorities, he wound up going in the temple proclaiming truth about Jesus. Jesus never stops. He's relentless. Don't think he just disappeared and nobody saw him for days. No, he was still working on the same day. I just love this story. As he passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth his disciples asked him, saying, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was believed in that day that uh, all sickness had some kind of relation to sin. Your parents could sin and it could do bad for you. You could sin, it could do bad for you. Now we know that sin can make you sick. I mean, in John chapter 5, he healed that crippled man and he told him to go and sin no more lest a worse thing comes upon him. But not in every case. So it's important that we don't get into some kind of superstition every time somebody's sick that somebody has done some kind of sin. If it is true that sin always makes us sick, then we would all be blind and ruined, right? And so this is an awesome, awesome story. The healing of the blind is an amazing thing, but first I'd just like to talk for a couple minutes about Jesus' healing. He would heal people in different ways because he did what the Father told him to do. We heard an amazing message last Sunday by Pastor Gary Sparks from a Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of Pastor Shake's brothers, declared a great message on the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is fully human. If you were not here to hear that sermon, I recommend you get the CD or listen to the podcast. It's it's a great sermon on the fact he was fully human. He lived as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit, obeying what the Father told him to do. That's how we're supposed to live, right? Declaring who He was. We're to declare not who we are, but who He is. Amen. And so, He sometimes would touch the sick. In Matthew 8, 15, He touched, just touched, Peter's mother-in-law. And the fever left her. She got up and fixed some food. Sometimes Christ spoke healing to ill people. In John 8, He spoke to that lame man on the Sabbath day. Arise! Take up your bed and walk. Sometimes he touched the sick and spoke healing simultaneously. He would speak while touching the sick. Sick people sometimes were healed by touching the hem of his garment. There's a woman with the issue of blood, and then there's a multitude touching the hem of his garment. One time Jesus put spit on a man's tongue and stuck his fingers in his ears. And he began to speak clearly and hear. Unusual. One time he spat on a blind man's eyes and laid hands on him twice. And he was healed. And in this story, he put clay on a blind person's eyes, made with dirt, mixed with his saliva, and sent him to wash at Siloam. And he was healed, not knowing what Jesus looked like. He knew his name, but he didn't know what he looked like. He was blind when he met him. An amazing thing. The healing of the blind points to the Messiah. Nobody healed the blind before Jesus. So he stands out above all the Old Testament prophets and miracle workers. He's the one that healed the blind. And he fulfilled messianic prophecies. David wrote in Psalm 146, verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. So by opening the eyes of the blind, Jesus was proving he was the Lord. Look at that. It's in capitals. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. Isaiah prophesied, chapter 29, 18, In that day, which was the day of Jesus, the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. And another one is Isaiah 35, verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And then there's the famous passage in Isaiah 61, the one that's often quoted that Jesus reads in his hometown in the synagogue on the Sabbath day in Luke chapter 4. He read the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you read all of Isaiah 61, it's the ministry of Jesus that we're to be continuing. So he is definitely the Messiah. What's amazing in this story is the people that refuse to believe that, the Pharisees. They make the guy tell them the story more than once. They threatened the parents with losing their synagogue membership, which is a scary thing because then you might not be welcome in your neighbor's house. You may not get any business. People may not sell stuff with you. It would affect you commercially or economically. The blind man didn't mind losing his membership. He didn't enjoy synagogue much anyway, but apparently he listened because he understood their theology. And their theology was God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. So if Jesus healed me, then he can't be a sinner. Now that's not perfect theology, but that was their theology. Perfect theology is God does hear the prayers of sinners if they're prayers of repentance. Jesus said there was a prideful Pharisee that prayed, Father, I thank you. I'm not like other men and his prayer was not heard But then there was a publican who beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man's prayer was heard. So he hears the prayers of sinners. If he didn't, none of us would be here. He heard our prayer one day. God, there's got to be more to life than this. It's awesome. Bob Lanning is an unusual brother who comes to church here when he's in the States and he's not out on the road raising funds. But he's a missionary to India, kind of undercover in deep Hindu and Muslim territory. And what he does is he starts house churches and raises up leaders that lead those churches. And a house church meeting is typically like this they'll sing a song and they'll sit in a circle out under a tree or on a porch, and then they will share testimonies, answers to prayer. And he said it starts out, these people participate, they're not believers, but God's hearing their prayers. Then they share needs because they're very poor people. They share needs and then they pray for one another. And then the leader teaches a little teaching and they go home and come back the next week. This is their church. And God is hearing the prayers of sinners. It's a self-righteous, I believe, that He turns from till they get right. I just love this story. This guy put them in their place and then they played the you've been born in sin card. Who are you to teach us? What a great story. The Pharisees intentionally did not want to believe. Uh, John MacArthur made a listing in his commentary called The Characteristics of Willful Unbelief. I I think currently John MacArthur needs to revisit this list and apply it to himself right now. But listen to this. Willful unbelief sets false standards and ignores real ones. So you couldn't do all these things on the Sabbath. Meanwhile, if you had an ox in the ditch, you could get your ox out of the ditch. But you couldn't heal a lame man? And here Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. Willful unbelief claims to want more evidence, but never has enough. Because I think we are looking for reasons not to believe. Willful unbelief does biased research with personal agendas. Willful unbelief always does its best to reject any fact it dislikes. I don't like that, so I'm going to reject it. Even though it's a fact. Willful unbelief tends to be self centered. Willful unbelief refuses to change opinions that were formed before being informed. And willful unbelief seeks to penalize all witnesses that are contrary to it. They'll call you names. They'll call you bigoted. They'll call you no longer a member of the synagogue. They're going to make you pay. You've got to line up with our beliefs. Thank God he opens the eyes of the blind physically and spiritually. And this is what happened to this dear man. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Jesus is eye-opening. If your eyes have been opened, can you read that? Jesus is eye-opening. The opening of the eyes of the blind is an amazing thing. I was in a service years ago at East Ridge Baptist Church, and the service was over. And there were some people up front by the altar, worshiping. Somebody, I think maybe, was playing an instrument and singing. And this girl was—they had this white flag. She was waving a flag of surrender. She's a teenage girl with glasses that were like Coke bottles. And I was there just visiting with someone in the back, and we heard the girl screaming. And she she was saying, I can see, I can see. And she had her glasses in one hand, the flag in the other. I can see, I can see. She was healed while worshiping the Lord. So he still does amazing things. He does. When they asked Jesus in verse 3, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. In other words, that's not the point. The point is there's going to be a miracle here. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So now he's ascended to heaven. Who's the light of the world now? We are. Night is coming. It's getting darker. But we're still here. Some Christians love to talk about how dark the world is. The world is just such a dark place. We're the light. Don't go dim with darkness. (laughs) We've got a job to do. There's work to be done. I don't know anything at all about this foundation, but it's called the Himalayan Cataract Project. Recently on Nightline, it featured a story with video footage of the work of a doctor named Dr. Jeffrey Taben, And he, with a group of helpers, go to Ethiopia where there's a horrible epidemic of cataracts. Children have cataracts, old people have cataracts, men, women. So they spend one day examining them and determining if it's just one or two and if it is a cataract and scheduling them for the next day. And they put pieces of tape with numbers or whatever the problem is above each eye and they come back the next day with the tape still on their eye. And that next day they do the surgeries. Apparently it costs eleven bucks to do one cataract surgery because everybody's volunteering their services. They bandage their eyes, they come back the next day or two days later, I can't remember, and they take the bandages off. And the sound of joy, Ethiopian style, fills the air. And I've got some footage of that. Let's watch this. <laughs> They don't run around, but they look around. That's what that looks like. Oh, um, well, my husband is good looking. You know. <laughs> Still good looking. <laughs> there's two kinds of blindness. There's physical blindness that we've talked about, and there's spiritual blindness. Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 4 4, which reads, Who's minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them the world is blind and yet the light of the world is here but when you're blind you don't take advantage of the light because you don't sense it when I was a kid we had a blind guest in our home for a day or two and we kept wanting to turn the lights on for him. He'd go in the bathroom and not turn the lights on. we keep wanting to show him where the switches were. He didn't need them. It didn't make any difference. He just memorized the floor plan. When you're blind, light doesn't matter. So the God of this world wants to keep the world blind. He blinds with lies. He blinds with hurts. He can blind with religion, blind with tradition, Keep them blind so that they cannot realize the light of the gospel is true. There's two kinds of healing that we see in this story. There's physical healing. Jesus told him to go and wash in Siloam. He went and washed out that mud, that clay made with Jesus' saliva, and came back seeing. 17, the Pharisees questioned him, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. And they were horrified he realized he was special cuz it had never happened before Can you imagine how he felt I mean, what a day this was only to be interrogated and put down and you know try to get him to criticize the one that healed him he wasn't going to so a spiritual awakening was happening in him already when jesus heard that they cast him out when he found him he said to him do you believe in the son of god he answered and said who is he lord that i may believe in him Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. There's the river flowing of truth coming the way of this formerly blind man. And he was awakened spiritually. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I think the movie had him kneeling before the Lord in respect and humility. I believe. He became Healed twice. Double cure. There's three kinds of spiritual blindness. There are the spiritually blind unbelievers. John 1, verse 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus came to a blind world, and unless your eyes were open, you did not realize who he was. Verse 10 goes on, He was in the world, the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in His name. And His name means Yahweh saves. So He was salvation to those that believed in Him, to those whose eyes were open. they are spiritually blind Pharisees, Could be some Pharisees in the house today. I don't know. They told the formerly blind man, the healed guy, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Well, they had their own rules they had added to the law of Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus said. And they lived for the Sabbath. They lived to not work. They worked at not working. There was no joy in it. And they judged one another by it. It was an instrument of judging and condemning and arguing, showing how spiritual you were. And yet they had all these loopholes, and Jesus ignored their loopholes and just dared to heal people on the Sabbath. And here he is doing it again. They're already mad at him about the lame man that was healed in John 5. He infuriates them. Why are they angry? They're spiritually blind. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they were were blind. They were confused. Jesus told them in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. It's not that he went blinding people, but he went exposing their blindness. I mean, you look at this story, and those guys look stupid. Here's a miracle that's never been performed before, and they're wanting to discount it. They're majoring on minors and minoring on majors. They're blind. So he exposed their blindness. Some of the Pharisees heard him say that, and they said, Are we blind also? He said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Pride will make you blind. This will. The third kind of blindness is spiritually blind disciples. Maybe your eyes were open and you know who Jesus is. Thank God for that. But spiritual growth requires that our eyes are continually open. Open to the need for growth. Open to the need to forgive. Open for the need to extend grace to everyone and never look down our eyes on anyone. Our men's group is going through the book of James on Wednesday nights. It's a little commercial here. You're welcome to come. If you can't come, we've got a number you can call and you can listen in and participate in the discussion afterwards. Conference call deal. It's a live class. Chapter 2 has just really been opened up to us. He's talking about being partial. Practicing partiality or prejudice. Favoritism. And This is a sin in the church then, and I think it's a sin in the church today that our eyes are being opened to. Oh, my goodness, this is not good. And he goes on to say, you know, if you violate one law, you violated all the laws. And this is a sin that must be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it, your faith is in vain. Faith without works is dead. So he's continually opening our eyes. The disciples obviously weren't fully converted in the story. They focus on had the man sinned or had his parents sinned that made him blind. The rabbis, some of the rabbis taught you could sin in the womb. I guess they looked at Jacob and Esau wrestling in in Rebecca's womb and, and their sin right there evident. So you can sin in the womb. So he must have sinned. Kind of their own weird form of Hinduism. Anything bad that happens must be some kind of karma. You know, Christians can do that. Uh, you did wrong somewhere, or I can tell you what you did wrong. And just wash our hands of ever-servant hurting people because they're stupid? What is that? Who does she think she is? Doesn't she know she's got a past? Or what's he doing here? That stuff needs to be expelled out of our lives and out of our Be a place of love and persistent love that sometimes you may have to confront someone. You do it in love, but you keep walking. You don't write people off and judge them and do things that only God can do. Lord, help us. Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light, Matthew 6. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about our perception. You know, our physical eye is not a lamp, but it's like a lamp. It allows light to come in. And so our perception is like a lamp. The way we see things determines what we see. The way we see things filters out what we don't want to see. This is why racial prejudice gets such a firm foothold in people's lives. It's the way they see things. And everything they see confirms to them what they see is right. Meanwhile, they're filtering out unconsciously contrary facts. Living in the past. In Luke, it's recorded like this. Jesus said in Luke 11, The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad... Your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Lord, give us eyes to see what You'd have us to see. Help us to see one another through the eyes of love. Help us to see people that maybe annoy us with eyes of mercy. Give us Your heart, Father, for those who don't have your heart. Give us your outlook. Because, Lord, we have work to do. Night is coming when no one can work. So, Lord, remove all darkness from our hearts, our minds, and our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the way we see things determines what we see. And what we see is is based on our spiritual growth. And this can affect everything in our life. Uh, We love to celebrate the fact that God is our blesser and He's our provider. And when He provides for us, He often does so by opening our eyes for us. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, literally means the God who sees. He helps us to see His provision. And the place where that name was given is a place from which Mount Calvary can be seen where God's provision for the sins of the world was made. It shall be seen. And it was seen prophetically then, and it happened. And today we walk in the light of that which was seen through the experience of Abraham when he offered up his son. But God can give us eyes to see even in having our material needs met. Your eyes to see a better job. Your eyes to see a solution at work that could help your business or place of business to prosper. Eyes are so important. When I was a kid, my parents were missionaries to Liberia, West Africa, and shipped over to the country for us was a ringer wash machine. It was a tremendous blessing. But after about three years, the ringer broke. One of the gears was stripped. And there's no wash machine repairman in 1968 that you could call in Monrovia, Liberia to come and work on your. So my dad worked on it. He couldn't fix it. He needed the part. And there's no parts store there. So we prayed. Later on that week, my dad's driving down the road. And keep in mind, it's a third world country, so junk is everywhere. And his eyes were drawn to a particular pile of junk. He thought, I wonder what's in there, something significant. I'm drawn to look at that. So he got up, went over to the pile of junk, and in the pile of junk was a ringer washing machine. So he began to take it apart, and only one thing on it was any good. It was a part he needed. God gave him eyes to see, and what he saw helped meet the need. May the Lord do that for everyone here. Give you your eyes to see what your children need, what your ministry needs to do. Amen. Let's stand. Open our eyes, Lord. Can we just lay our hands on our eyes symbolically? Lord, we as a congregation lay our hands on our eyes. Lord, we want to thank you for physical sight. God, we ask you to give us spiritual sight. Spiritual sight that sees where we've been blind sees where we've been uncaring and unloving and unmerciful and harsh. Heal our eyes, Lord. Help us, Lord, to see through eyes of faith. Lord, we devote our eyes to You to use for Your glory. In Jesus' name. Faith, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died for our sins? Do you believe He's alive today? you want to follow Him? Step You're Seated? All right. She is ready. Faith, Brown, upon the confession of your faith and obedience to the Word of God, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, planted in the likeness of Jesus' death, rising to walk in the likeness of Jesus' life. <laughs> Lord, bless faith. Fill her to overflowing with your goodness with your mercy all the days of her life. In Jesus' name, amen.